Questions from previous class, last class? Okay, so we're on the uh, chapter 12, the four yogas, four spiritual disciplines. He said we are separated from the pure consciousness, God, our real personality, due to our vasanas, our desires. So these four yogas have been prescribed to us to remove our vasanas, to eradicate them, so we can become one with our true personality. The four yogas are Bhakti Yoga, path of devotion, Jnana Yoga, path of knowledge, Karma Yoga, path of action, Hatha Yoga, path of compulsion. And there's four yogas given because of the different categories of human being, different personalities, based on the qualities of the mind and intellect, the inner nature. So we discussed bhakti yoga, path of devotion for people who are more mind-led. And we said that bhakti yoga is not a blind belief in a particular god excluding other gods. Or, or mechanical rituals. True devotion is the understanding and surrender to this unknown force that is present in the world that makes all things function. To identify, become one with this all-pervading reality. This is devotion. It comes from knowledge and understanding. It said, who is a true devotee, a true bhakta, true devotee of God? And in the Gita, chapter 12, verse 13 to 20, it says a true devotee is someone who has these 35 qualities. You need to develop those qualities to become a true devotee. And we went through some of the um, qualities. The real path to devotion is the eradication of the ego unfolding the self. The understanding of divinity in all, in all beings, in all animals, in everything. This is a true bhakta. Then last class we did jnana yoga, path of knowledge, which is what we're on, which is what we're doing here. This is for intellectuals or questions, inquires, the origins of life. Who is God? What is God? What is the meaning of God? Who am I? What is my purpose? What is this world? How did it come about? This path, Jnana Yoga, provides the answers. We said that this knowledge is gained by reflecting and contemplating on the truths of life. Gain the knowledge, reflect on it, absorb it. Only then you can apply it in life. 
person with true knowledge, wisdom, understands what is real and what is unreal. The, the awareness in life of the permanent and the impermanent. This person is a jnani, a person with true knowledge. Said Shankaracharya said, Nitya, Nitya, Viveka, Vichara. Understanding, reflecting the difference between what is eternal and the temporary. What is the eternal and temporary, guys? Anyone? Eternal and what is temporary? What is internal and is temporary? Dhamesh? The temporary is all the states we are in, the waking state, the sleeping state, and the internal is the self. That's the only bit that stays through all of them, the I. Yeah. You say I'm a child, I'm a boy, I'm a man, I'm a woman. These are all impermanent changing factors. The I is the permanent factor. So Gyani concentrates on the I rather than the expression. I'm the self. I'm not this body-mind intellect. The personality is changing, but the same I remains. You can actually go around saying, I'm the self. I'm not this body-mind intellect to remind you. They're not affected by anything because the self is permanent. It's not affected. It's the physical body that feels pain, the mind that feels emotions, not the self. I am not this personality. I'm not this body, mind, intellect. I am the self. Easy to remember. The I is the constant. The other states are unreal. I am the waker. I am the dreamer. I am the deep sleeper. All unreal. They don't last. Only the I remains the same. That's the true personality. And in order to develop on this path, where Bhakti Yoga, we had to develop 35 qualities, we need 20 qualities. Jnani needs 20 qualities. Gita gives out in detail these 20 qualities that a person must develop. We covered a few of the qualities. So Bhakta Yoga, Bhakta has to develop 35 qualities to become a true devotee. We, Gyanam, has to develop 20 qualities. We covered some of them last week. And in, in fact, today's class, that's what we're going to do is cover the rest of the qualities. Because I think they're extremely important. Because you can actually reflect on them, on your own personality, and then apply, apply them. So last class we discussed humility, have no pride, no superiority complex. I'm not gonna go into detail. Unpretentiousness, modest, being humble. We put ourselves on a higher pedestal than we actually are. Be true to yourself. 
harmlessness, non-injury. What was non-injury? Okay, well, non-injury. It was, uh, it's like non-violence or like ahimsa, but it's having the right motive when you perform an action. Yeah. You have no intentions to harm, but you may need to harm for the greater good. Forgiveness. Do I need to explain forgiveness? Everyone acts based on their nature, their vasanas. Now you have this understanding. It should be easy for you to forgive other people, no matter what they do. Rise above the petty things. It's for your own growth, own development. Uprightness, honesty, decency, respectfulness. Service to preceptor, which was the last thing we covered. Showing gratitude towards all these great sages, these gurus that have given this knowledge to us. The Upanishads, the Gita, people, the sages who wrote those, we need to show humility to them, gratitude. It's because of them that we have this knowledge, because of them that we are in this class today. And those were the six we covered last week. Is there any clarifications or any questions on those six that we covered? We're going to cover another 14 today. So I'm going to cover them in a bit more detail so then you, can, you, ha you have a better idea. Great. So, number seven, purity, cleanliness. This should be maintained at all times, externally and internally at all levels of your personality. So what would that mean? Externally and internally. Purity, cleanliness. Externally, we all understand. Internally, what would that mean? What's the impurity within? Yeah, Ravi. Our thoughts, our way of thinking. Yeah. You need to, you need to elaborate. What you think about clean thoughts, um, pure thoughts as such. So, as you said, you, you're always on the path seeking the higher, but your thoughts and your mind, if they're not clean, then you're going in all different directions. With them. Yeah, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Your intellect should entertain pure thoughts. What else greater than that? What's the one thing? Tushnabin? Selflessness. Selflessness. Desire. Uh, desires. Who said desires? 
Amrit. Amrit is correct. It's the desires that stain your personality. Remember, God plus desires is a human being. It's the desires, your vasanas, that stain your personality, your true personality. So externally, things should be clean, maintained. The environment should be spotless. Your body should be clean. Internally, your mind should be cleansed of selfish desires, attachments. Your intellect should entertain pure thoughts, Thoughts that remind you of the higher. And you should be aware of the stain of your vasanas. Be actively conscious of purifying your inner personality by removing these vasanas, these thoughts, these desires. Because it's the vasanas that are the barrier between you and your ultimate state. An enlightened person is a person free from vasanas, free from desires, free from attachments. It stains your divinity. So these are spiritual impurities we need to remove, which is the whole exercise of all these yogas, actually. Does that, does that, is that clear? Ultimately, those are your stains, your, your impurities. But in order to think of that, you need your environment clean. You don't need clutter around you. You know, and even when you're studying, make sure everything's clear, clean. The table's clear. Your mind doesn't waver to things, you know. It just makes it easier. Rajesh, can you move your camera? I can only see your heads, scalps. Thanks. The next uh, quality is steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Forget about spirituality. What is steadfastness? Yeah. Magna. It's your sort of passion and drive to get something that you want to get done. Yeah, absolutely. A determined, unswerving firmness with which you pursue your goal until you reach it. That's steadfastness. Maintaining consistency in your efforts to attain it. Anything you pursue in life, it doesn't have to be spirituality. Even if you set your goal for physical fitness, you have to do it regularly, maintain it. You can't do it half-heartedly. Business, we have to put all the efforts in. One day you put effort in, next day you stay in bed, it doesn't work. Whatever you decide to do, if you do it half-heartedly, you're not going to achieve your best. Similarly on the spiritual path, you have to regulate, channelize your physical, mental, intellectual energy towards achieving that ultimate goal. 
So, so developing that will help you not only in everyday life, but on the spiritual path as well. Set your goal. You have set that goal. Don't let the mind come and take you away from that. It's the mind that does that. No, this is my goal. This is what I'm going to do. Be steadfast. It becomes an essential ingredient of your sadhana. Spiritual practice or any practice without steadfastness, you cannot develop. You can't gain the ultimate, whatever that may be. Any questions, just raise your hand, yeah? Or just speak out, people who don't have their video. Number nine, self-control. You know, some of these are actually, um, we can get in all different uh, self-help books and things like that. It's the same thing. What's self-control? It's very similar to steadfastness, actually. It's the opposite. What's self-control? One portion or two portions. That's self-control. Yeah. Practically speaking, one scoop or two. <laughs> Why would that be a problem if your goal was what? Lose weight. Lose weight. So if your goal was to lose weight, then you'd have to choose one scoop or two scoops. So what about spiritual development? What would be um, self-control? Yeah, Migna. Is it just sort of stopping anything that is taken away from your goal? Perfect. So using your intellect to control Perfect. Yeah, your desires. The ability to stay away from action and attachment and enjoyment, which comes in the way of your spiritual development. Niti, niti, not this, not this. As you try to develop yourself spiritually, what happens? Worldly attractions come in the way. Sense objects often overpower and lure you away from the spiritual course. Nati, nati, not that. You need to wake up five o'clock to study. But the night before you go to a party, come back at midnight. How are you going to get up to study? Or you watch a movie, late night movie. How are you going to wake up to study? So these are sense and enjoyments that come in the way of your goal, which you have set. You have decided, I want to do this. Your intellect has decided, this would be good for me to do. Morning study would be good for me to do. You have decided. So self-control. I'm not saying you don't enjoy yourself, but you need to control it. What's the priority? Only you can set that. Once you've set it, control everything so that you can attain it.
Do not fall a prey to such temptation. Maintain a mastery over your senses and mind. How do we do this, by the way? Mastery of your senses and mind. How do we do this? For anything in life. How do we do this? What controls the mind? Deepa? It's about reducing your desires and strengthening your intellect. Strengthening intellect, exactly. Only the intellect can control the mind. So to achieve a lot of these um, qualities, you need to develop the intellect. So when the mind wants to stray off, when the mind wants to stray off the path, when you get distracted, the intellect brings the mind back into the path. Your partner says, we've got to go to a party, finish at midnight. We need to finish by 10. I need to wake up for morning study. That's it. Intellect says, that's it. I'll spend two hours at the party and come back. Because that's the goal you set. So intellect has to regulate discipline at all levels of the personality. For anything, you know, even if you want to do business, you've got to get to the office early, plan everything. You can't afford to uh, burn the candle at both ends, as they say. What is your priority? You have to set that. Direct all your energy towards the ideal that you have decided on. And, the, and the, your ability to do that determines your self-control. Does that make sense, Shashi? True. Self-control. In all aspects of your life. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to achieve, you need self-control. You can't be distracted. The mind, you can't let the mind take you away from your goals. So you have to pay thousands of pounds to go on a course to teach you this. The business people, they come to the ashram, spend $5,000 for five days to learn self-control, just to learn about how to do self-control to develop their business, how to treat their staff. Because they don't teach you these things at school. They'll say, concentrate. Well, how do I concentrate? Don't, don't worry about that, just concentrate. Because their teacher themselves don't know how to concentrate, but what the meaning of concentration is. It's used very loosely, the word. The ability for the intellect to control the mind is concentration on a single thought without being distracted. Number 10, dispassion towards sense objects. We love this one. Dispassion towards sense objects. Okay, most of you are going to switch off now. 
it's generally it's misunderstood this term, dispassion towards sense objects. Does not mean you don't contact sense objects. Please don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean don't enjoy the senses, the world. God has given you five senses to contact the world. God's made this world a beautiful place. And so rightly, we should enjoy it. You can book your holiday. You can go and buy what you need. Not a problem. It doesn't take you away from the spiritual path. But it's it's what value you give to sense objects. That's what's important. How important is that to you? True dispassion is determined by what value you give to sense objects. And to understand that, you need higher knowledge, which is what we're gaining. As you gain higher knowledge, you put sense objects in their proper place. So you enjoy sense objects. Enjoy going to parties, restaurants, holidays, seeing good sights, buying the latest iPhone, listening to music, whatever that may be. But you do this with the understanding that it will not give you ultimate joy. There is something higher than this. This experience is temporary. Then you're being dispassionate. You're not attached to it, to that enjoyment factor. Do you see the difference? There's a subtle difference. Do whatever you want to do, no problem. Give it the right value. Understand it's temporary. So while you're on the spiritual path, while you're gaining knowledge, you will automatically entertain sense objects. But as you develop, you understand the true value, you'll start reducing it because it actually doesn't give you the happiness you're looking for. The morning study, thinking about higher values, these things actually give you a greater happiness than any sense object. It's hard to explain because you've not experienced it. It's really hard to explain this. Because it, you can only experience it with your own development. When you get to a certain stage and you study in the morning what these sages are saying about life, it gives you so much happiness, so much joy when you read these things that nothing, any song, no sense object can compare to it. But that is something you have to experience. No sense object in the world can come near it. But you have to take my word for it until you, until you come to that stage. And that's something you have to experience. Nothing comes near it. No amount of jewelry, no Aston Martin, no holiday, nothing will come near it. 
Martin Lloyds. So you enjoy sense objects with understanding, it will not give you ultimate joy. Experience is temporary. And you start losing value for this as you develop on the spiritual path. You start losing value. In fact, you come to a point when you understand these are just obstacles in my path. It's distracting me away from my goal. It's riddled with sorrow. So you naturally develop a disinterest, dispassion towards them. Now, please don't misunderstand, yeah? The partner says, I want to go on holiday. You don't say, I'm dispassionate. Forget it. Go to a restaurant. No, it comes in my path. It's an obstacle in my path. This isn't how you behave. It's an internal feeling. The world is there. You have to contact it. But internally, you're not pining for it. You're not desiring it, but you're going through the motions. And you go and enjoy yourself. Your partner says, let's go. You go and you enjoy yourself. But internally, you're dispassionate. Any clarification? Does that, does that make sense? Through, make sense? Satish? Internally, you're dispassionate. Number 11. So many qualities. You think, let me develop at least one. Number 11, absence of egoism. How does the ego function? Any ideas? How does the ego function? We all have an ego, by the way. All of us have an ego. The minute you're born, you have an ego. But not the ego that we relate to. How does the ego function? Anybody? How does the ego function in the basic terms? I am supreme. I only exist. I am the doer. So your ego, this is very important, this particular quality to understand. Your ego makes you feel separate and distinct from the rest of mankind. It separates you. It arises from the ignorance of self, from Atman. You think everything you do is because of you. It's like a light bulb saying, I give light without acknowledgement to electricity. alienates you from the world. 
the fallout of harmony of society. You irritate everyone and you suffer the sorrows thereof. How does this knowledge help you reduce your ego? As you gain this knowledge, Damesh? First of all, we know that the I is us and we're part of a bigger picture. So you already know that we're part of the Bhammana. Yeah. You know, the sea or, or the river. We know we're part of it. We're part of it. The way, you know you're, you're a small part in a big world. Yeah. And so your ego already has been reduced because you understand your place in the world, where you come from, what you are. Now, this is probably one of the easiest roles to, rec to rectify. As you gain the knowledge of self, you begin to realize the unifying principle, the self in all that binds everything in this world. Everyone is to the same. Everyone has that electricity. It is incorrect to feel yourself superior to others. None is superior or inferior to another. None. All beings have their different parts to play in this world. They act as spokes in the wheel of life with God as the hub holding them together. Can you visualize that? Can it make sense? God is the hub. We're all spokes in the wheel of life. We all have a part to play, an important part. But everyone's role is the same. They're just playing a different part. And we need everybody, we need all the spokes for the wheel to turn. Just because you have a bigger bank balance, you have more power, you're head of company, doesn't mean that you're more important. Doesn't mean you have a bigger role to play. So lacking this knowledge, you create the egoistic feeling, I am supreme, I'm better than everyone. So they're saying you're not. The second egoistic feeling is, I alone exist. The rest of mankind is meant merely to serve me, cater to my welfare. You believe yourself to be all important. None else matters. So if you're feeling that, you need to uh, stop. The entire world could perish as long as I'm all right. I am important. It's a disturbing feeling. 
See, first of all, you have to realize you cannot exist without other people's help. You need society. You need doctors, you need engineers, you need accountants, you need teachers. Without oxygen, water, food, freedom, you don't even exist. Learn to be grateful. Learn to repay the world for all you enjoy. Basics we don't, so, so many people in the world don't have. Birth feeling is a sense of, I did this. Anything you achieve, you say, I did it. This is how the ego exists, by the way. This is what we're saying. This is how the ego manifests. I did it. I did everything. I made this cake. I created this business. I made this house. I produced this Mercedes. How is that wrong to think that? How is that wrong to think that? Why is it wrong to think that? Anyone? Yeah. Just nothing. It's because if you're baking a cake, you're not looking at the person who made the flour, the person who gathered the wheat, the person who made the cream and got to your doorstep, and all the in-betweens. No, the in-betweens, absolutely. Who made the oven? You can't bake it without the oven. So you can't say, I made this cake. Hundreds of people helped you make that cake. For you to just add the flour, mix it, put it in the oven, and you say, I made it. What about all the other people's contribution? The guy who makes the latest Mercedes-Benz, he can't say, I made this car. What about hundreds of years of development, engine development, body development, all those contributions? What about all those people? All the engineers? So this is another way that ego exists. You can't do anything without other people's contribution. Millions have contributed to any achievement you can boast of. The teacher who taught you how to speak English, the school that you went to, Taxes people paid so you can go to school for free. What about those people? We forget. Free school dinners. So to arrogate it to yourself speaks of your ignorance. You must learn, realize the truth, and learn to humble yourself. So for spiritual development, you have to develop humility. You know what? Not just for spiritual development. 
any aspect of your life. If you become egoistic, it just says bad things about yourself. You show humility, people will come towards you. They'll like you. You show egoistic, ego feeling, people will stay away from you. What is, okay, what is the value of an ego? Can we evaluate it into anything of perception? What is the value of ego? There's no value. So learn to humble yourself, show humility. You take that one quality away, you'd be a changed person. All your relationships would be a lot better with your family, your partner, your work colleagues. Life can change. Just one quality. Bhaktivin, did you have a question? Number 12, perception of pain and evil, of birth, growth, decay, disease, and death. See, after these qualities, you're going to say, you know, I've had enough of these classes. <laughs> it's all negative. Every aspect of life is associated with pain and suffering. The same. Every aspect of life is associated with pain and suffering. Birth is painful. You come out of the womb, first thing you do is cry. Pain in itself. This is what the sages are saying. Growing up is painful. You get your first teeth, it's painful. You cry. Going to school the first day, painful. Learning can be painful. Discipline is painful. Earning a living is hard. Keeping a family together is hard. Keeping a partner happy is hard. Children are grown up. Dealing with their ups and downs is hard. Deepa. And then you get older. Disease is painful. You have a sickness, ill health, painful. Then you become old, full of misery. You become frail, lose your strength. Memory fails. Family don't give you the same respect. Ignores you. All of us have to go through these stages in life. It's natural and normal. So understand this. Observe each stage. Try and stay objective. Don't get mentally involved. Watch them come and go. This is natural. It's going to happen to all of us. Everything passes away. It's all temporary. This whole life is temporary. But each aspect is temporary. Observe it. Accept it. 
deal with it. With knowledge of the higher, the self, you become aware of these changes and the pain associated to it. You rise above the influence of these changes. It's a passing phenomenon. The fact you're born, you're gonna die. There's nothing you can do about it. You have to accept that and everything in between. Look at life as a sakshi, a witness, like an actor on stage. This is a jnani. He has this outlook of life. See, ultimately, if you think about it, yeah, we're all trying to get to this stage of self-realization, which stops the cycle of birth and death. We want to stop the cycle of birth and death. Why? Ultimately, because it's full of pain and suffering. Why do we want to go through all that? Because we're in it, we don't understand it. But ultimately, if you look at it from a greater perspective, we're all trying to stop this cycle. Why? But if we break it down in all small aspects, we understand it's full of suffering. Problem is we get used to the suffering. That's the reason why we don't, we're not objective. We expect it. Number 13, non-attachment. Non-attachment, what's non-attachment? It's the opposite of attachment. What's non-attachment? Understanding that everything is temporary in this world. Everything is temporary, yeah. What else? So understanding that every bond or everything you make, everything you touch, there's no point holding on to it. It's only the action mm -hmm. doing it and understanding that at the end, this is you're going to leave it anyway. So the bonds of family, bonds of wife, bonds of everything, anything you own, you don't really own technically. So not being attached to any object or being in the world. Once again, it's internal. Yeah. Don't want any complaints. Attachment means that you mentally bind yourself to these things. To wealth, name, fame, family. See what happens when you attach, you lose your freedom. You become dependent on that object or being. You're affected by whatever happens to them. It causes mental agitation, suffering and sorrow. Person attached to wealth remains ever disturbed. Getting wealth, keeping hold of your wealth, parting with wealth, all these cause disturbance, agitations. What's going to happen to my money? Even the person who has amassed so much wealth, he's in his 80s now, he's worried, what will happen when I die with my money? Who's going to get it? What will they do with it? So wealth create, if the wrong relationship with anything creates agitations. Remember that. 
can have everything, but it's your wrong mental relationship with it. Mother attached to her children, constantly worried, anxious about them. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care, but it's that mental attachment. Whatever happens to a child happens to you. If it happens to you, how can you think clearly? How can you help the child? If you're affected, the child cries, you start crying. How, is it, how are you going to help the child? Any possession, you buy a new car, you go over potholes and bumps, it's painful. My new car. If it's someone else's car, you don't feel the same. Why is that? You go with your friend to someone to pick up a new car and you go for potholes, you, you start laughing. Uh, but if it's your own car, then you feel the potholes and as if... Uh, <laughs> I'm just making, showing you the difference. Because your car you're attached to, your friend's car you're not attached to. You're objective when it's your friend's car. <laughs> when it's your own car, you're not objective. This, this is the difference. New TV, new carpet, you worry about it. Mental agitations. Disturbs your peace if you're attached to it. So you've got to learn to look at life, the world, objectively. And that arises from higher value, higher knowledge. You understand the true nature of the world. If you lose your objectivity, you become involved, attached to the world, you suffer. So Akiani is rooted in the higher, the supreme self, never attached to the world. He's always peaceful and happy. Another example. You go to see a movie, a tragedy. Romeo and Juliet, you know, they both die in the end. Whatever tragedies. What's that a film? Padmavati. Lady commits, dies, all the ladies die at the end. Or oh, the world's going to end and there's only a few survivors left. <laughs> you go and see these movies. So why do we enjoy these movies? Why do we enjoy these movies? You come out, oh, that was a great movie. Why do you enjoy these movies? The hero dies in the end. What acting Shah Rukh Khan did, even though he died at the end? Why do you enjoy these movies? So much pain and suffering in the movie, but you come out. Yeah, make now. Is it because it's not your pain and suffering? You know, it's not real, it doesn't affect you. You're objective about it. You understand it's a movie. It doesn't affect you. You enjoy it for what it is. You're not entangled in the movie. You're not attached to the movie. You see it as a witness. You know it is a movie. 
be objective about the whole thing. So what if you weren't objective and you went to see a movie? What would happen? Yeah, Kevin. That's when you start crying, right? In the sad scenes. <laughs> you know, whatever, like the emotion and all that. Well, you know, uh, emotions are, the movie is supposed to portray emotions. You should feel the emotions. But if you're not objective, you get involved in the movie. What happens to them in the movie happens to you. I can't believe he died. You're upset for weeks. You do puja for him at home. He died. In the movie. It affects you for weeks. So you need to gain the same objectivity in life. Does he understand? It's not real. Only the self is real. Brahman. He understands this whole phenomenon is like a movie. Never attached, so he's peaceful and happy. That's what we need to get to. That's where we need to get to. That's the sign of your development, how objective you are in life. You enjoy life if you're objective. So, all these little qualities you know you develop, it, it frees you from everything. Can you imagine being completely objective in the world, in everything you do? Actor on stage. Imagine you're an actor on stage while acting in the world right now, and you know you're just acting. It's a hard concept to think of because we get involved in everything. Imagine the freedom, though, if you're able to do that. So, a jnani is able to, to do that, he's reached that stage. We'll do one more. Free from infatuation to son, wife, home, etc. not being infatuated to your possessions. Son, wife, and home are typical examples of possessiveness. They're the strongest examples of possessiveness. They represent all objects and beings in the world. They, they give you the example because it covers everything. That will be your strongest possession. Anything else will be below that. Please don't misunderstand. Once again, we're not saying don't care about your partner your children, your family, yeah? I've learned to be free from infatuation. That doesn't mean not caring, not taking, not following your responsibilities. You're taking the knowledge wrongly, Amrad. An ungoverned mind develops a dependency, 
a slavish relationship with objects and beings. The relationship further develops, develops into a possessive attitude towards them. That feeling of mindness, my daughter, my son, my husband, my wife, my house, my car, my business, Why is it wrong to feel this? Why is it wrong to feel this? Is it because you're then becoming attached? Because you're being attached, yes. So should we be saying the daughter, the son, the business instead of my? If it helps you, yes. <laughs> Internally, you understand it's, it's not. You can use those words, it's fine, but you understand you're using those words because that's what they identify with. But internally you understand, I'm not, I'm free from it. I'm not possessive over it. Free from infatuation. See, some people, it destroys their life. Something happens to the child, their partner, anything they're possessive of. If some, whatever happens to them, it destroys their life because a lack of understanding. So not only one person's life is destroyed, so many more people's life is destroyed. That mindness. See, if you possess these things, then these things possess you. They mentally bind you to these objects and beings. They bully you mentally. The example I gave before, you tie a rope around a donkey's neck and you say, this is my donkey. But at the same time, the donkey possesses you. You can't leave the donkey. You have to stay with the donkey all the time. Who possesses who? You've lost your freedom because of the donkey. When you say, this is my donkey. Same thing with any objects and beings. So have everything, but mentally you understand. This is all mental, by the way, yeah? Not uh, physically, practically. You possess nothing in this world. You came with nothing, you leave with nothing. Everything is temporary. Remember that. All your relationships, all your possess, all your possessions, everything is temporary. Doesn't matter how much you have, how big is your house, how many cars you have, what is your bank balance. You have to have a possessive attitude to everything then you are free from the agitations. In, in fact, you enjoy things more. Imagine mentally you're free, enjoy, enjoy everything more. King Janaka was so rich, Krishna's friend Sudama was so poor, but both of them practiced a detached attitude to everything. It's here today, it'll be gone tomorrow. 
You function in the world with this attitude, you'll then maintain a proper and healthy relationship with the world. This is how a jnani functions. Okay, we'll stop there. So much to take in. We've got another five more to do, which we'll do next week. I can feel everyone's yawning now. So just one quality you need to take in. You take in one quality, another five will develop automatically. These points are just for you to think. Think about life, look at life in a different perspective. Take off those shades, put clear glasses on so you can see things for what they are. That's all this knowledge is supposed, it's supposed to help you to see things more clearly. Because we get so involved in everything. It is enabled, gives you some clarity. Clarity of thought. Am I being egoistic? What's that going to help? How's that going to help me? Automatically become humble. Am I being possessive? Hey, I don't want any agitations. Gives you some knowledge to think, think with. Any questions? So you have to work out practically how you can uh, apply some of this. Mekna? Food for thought, isn't it? It's also um, taking back ownership because you're not putting or having expectations on external and third parties for your happiness. Yeah. That's why they say happiness is from within. It's not externally, it's inside. If you can't find it inside, you'll never find it anywhere else. Doesn't matter where you look. You can go on any holiday you want, go first class, doesn't matter, you will not find it. Externally, you'll never find it. If you find it inside, you can sit in a cave and you'll be happy. That's our goal. Any questions pertaining to any of these qualities or general questions? Uh, thanks for telling me. You've made me much happier by telling me that my missus is only temporary. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you still have a, you know, you still owe her. She cooks your food, cleans the house, does whatever she, needs, she does for you. <laughs> Maybe temporary. <laughs> But yes, I'm right, you're absolutely right. Even this shall pass away, yeah? <laughs> Next life. You have someone worse, depending on how you behave. <laughs> Any other questions? 
So this, this you know, it's, it's awareness. It's an awareness, by the way, yeah? This is all being aware of life, being aware of the world, being aware of your own personality. Take control, as Rui said, of your own personality. Whatever happens in the world, you accept it. Don't let your mental imbalance, no, don't be mentally imbalanced because something happens outside. You keep it, you keep it at level. This is the world. This is my partner, these are my children. This is how people are, what can I do? Take control of your own personality. Don't worry about anybody else. Strengthen your own personality. So then you're not agitated by anything externally. You're internally happy, content, free from agitations, no matter what happens outside. Something happens outside, people come to you. How can you please help me? You strengthen your personality. You can't help anyone if you're a wreck, if you're affected by everything. What else? Any other questions? These are hard qualities to portray, tell you are, to try and, because uh, they're written thousands of years ago. These, they wrote these qualities thousands of years ago now to portray to us in this day and age without people getting the wrong understanding. It's because we're so more attached to the world now than before. As we said, the world is so developed so much enjoyment there now, but no one's developed us. And that's the problem. We become more and more slavish to the world as day goes by. We had three, how many? We had one channel, BBC One. Now how many channels do we have? Netflix, Amazon Prime, Sky, this, that. Well, this is an example of how we get attached to the world. How do we control all this? So we have to strengthen ourselves. The magnet is getting stronger. The magnetism of the world is getting stronger. Right, I've bored you enough. Spoilt your Sunday. <laughs> There's no other questions. So I think a few more weeks we'll finish this Tuesday class and then we'll start a fresh Wednesday class. I think the timing is now set to 7.30 till about 8.30 and then uh, five, 10 minutes for questions if there are any. So it'll be 7.30 to 8.30 and I reckon we'll start in about the third week, the third Wednesday after this Wednesday. Yeah. Yep, Kevin.
which book will we be starting with in that class? I'm not sure. Let me think about it. Because if most of you people who have been to these classes on Sundays um, have some basic foundational knowledge already. So we might start with The Fall of the Human Intellect, which is the book before um, Vedanta Treaties. Okay. Yeah. And this Sunday class, once we finish this book, um, we'll probably start the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, that'd be good. Okay. Three, four years of Bhagavad Gita it'll take yeah, to finish. But you know what? It's, it's brilliant. One verse can change your life. One verse can change your life. Okay, everyone, have a great Sunday. Thank you for joining us today.